Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Searching. Let's take a picture. One, two, three, two. <laughs> Hey, sweetheart. Where are you? Study group. As you get back. Oh, one more thing. I want to know about the final you took today. Leave me a message or text me back. Hi, sweetheart. Um, just checking in because it looks like you already left for school this morning. Hey, Margot, Dad again. Why did you leave your laptop at home? I haven't been able to reach Margot. Wait, you can't find Margot? Study group only went till nine. She said it was going all night. No, she definitely left at nine. Authorities are asking anyone with information to please call the hotline or 911 immediately. Update me whenever you learn something. Did she mention anything unusual going on lately? We're not really that close. But you guys are friends. Kind of. She has friends, right? She keeps to herself a lot. She's quiet. I did see her eat lunch alone. On Thursday? Every day. She made an outgoing transaction of $2,500. Margot picked up an ID a few days ago. That doesn't make any sense. It's time to start considering that Margot ran away. I know my daughter. She did not run away. This is it. Best place in the world to do nothing. This is her keychain. You told me she ran away! The vehicle was discovered late last night. $2,500 in cash was found. Something doesn't add up. Has anyone considered that it was an absolute stranger? You can't see things clearly. All I'm trying to do is to help you find my daughter. We need nothing from you. Where were you the night my daughter went missing? All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Searching, and the story is as follows. David Kim becomes desperate when his 16-year-old daughter, Margot, disappears, and an immediate police investigation leads nowhere. He soon decides to search the one place that no one else has, Margot's laptop. Hoping to trace her digital footprints, David contacts her friends and looks at photos and videos for any possible clues as to her whereabouts. The film is starring John Cho and Deborah Messing. It is written and directed by Anish Shiganti and co-written by Sev Ohanian. Joining me for this review, I have Katie Schaefer. Hey, guys. Beatrice Loiza. Hello. And Celia Shalekaway. Hey there. Ladies, good morning. How is everyone? Excellent. Doing great. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, I saw this film a while ago. I saw it back in January. It was the last film I saw at the Sundance Film Festival, back when it was called Search. It wasn't even called Searching. And 
I went into this completely blind, had no idea what I was in for. And on a second viewing this past week, I still stand by that it's one of my favorite movie-going experiences of 2018 so far. I'm a huge, huge fan of this film, but seeing as how this was for all of you, your first time viewing it, I'm more curious to know what all of you think. So let's start off with actually the parent in the room right now. Katie, what did you think of Searching? Oh, I went into this with very low expectations, mostly because of the how it was being presented, you know, the, uh, it's all done on computer screens and phones and all of that. And, you know, I was like, okay, is this a gimmick or are they going to be able to pull it off? And when I went in, I was amazingly surprised how quickly that whole aspect just kind of fades into the background and the story really takes front and center. And it is pretty quickly, very edge of your seat tension and, as a mom, I kept thinking, oh, God, this would just be so awful on a certain level. Like, my kid's several years younger than the, the person in the, than the girl in the movie. So at least there was that. But this movie was so tense and so uh, kind of overwhelming in the theater just because it felt so realistic. It's like you were going through it. And that was a very well pulled off thing that they did. All right. Celia, it's your review on the website. Care to tell people what you thought of searching? Um, yeah, I thought it was unlike Katie. I didn't really have any big qualms about the uh, gimmick of the film. I mean, it's sure, you know, it's a it's a gimmick for sure. Something that they use to draw the audience in, make it seem different. But I think at the end of the day, it really uses the uh, mystery suspense tropes and structure extremely well um you're probably not going to be surprised with like the direction that the movie goes i mean whether you're surprised by the solution or not that's the viewer's idea but um i thought it did it really well I th it was really fun to watch there were a lot of moments that i hid my eyes and you know a lot of gasping and things like that um and i just I left the theater just totally satisfied with the whole experience. All right. And finally, Beatrice. Uh, so I was excited about this because um, another film, Unfriended, also makes use of being, or it's entirely filmed with screens. And I thought that was a really clever conceit. And I was excited to see what this non-campy horror movie would do with this, with this method. And I thought... This was a really satisfying thriller. Um, I like how it made clever use of the prevalence of screens and how it mirrors that experience of engaging with technology as we use it now um, with access to so much information and shortcuts and how we can access things in a matter of seconds. So having this experience serve as the structuring mechanism for the movie's exposition was really clever and it really lent itself to, to a fast-paced murder mystery. Uh, I didn't think the execution was flawless, and I think a lot of it had to do with its commitment to the full use of screens. And I did have some problems with its conclusion, but all in all, I thought it was a really tight film with an excellent performance by a typically underused John Cho. Um, and in the moment, it really had me at the edge of my seat. Who here has seen Alfred Hitchcock's film Rope? I have. Okay. 
there's uh, been a lot of comparisons. Actually, I've seen I've seen the quote used a lot in the marketing for this film that this is like Hitchcock levels of suspense. And I, I was thinking a lot about a film like Rope, where that was a quote unquote gimmick movie. It's shot in one unbroken take, or the illusion that it's all one unbroken take. And it's a mystery thriller, just like this is a whodunit, so to speak. And you know, I can totally understand where people would draw that connection of this is the kind of film that Alfred Hitchcock would make if he were alive today. It totally feels like that in so many ways because it is a very, very engaging edge of your seat thriller. And part of that is because of the relatability of the story. Um, Anish, the writer, uh, director of this film, never once forgets the human element of the story here, which is that of a parent's connection to their child. And whether you're a parent or not, I think while watching this, I think we can all on some level relate to what David Kim, played by John Cho, is going through in this movie and how well the story keeps us with his uh, point of view. It never breaks away from him and what he's going through. And it's really smart, too. Like, he's not a helpless character. He is doing everything that he can to help drive the story forward. So there's a a lot that we do when we're watching this to just keep us, like, engaged with his 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 plight and what what he's going through which is truly horrible in many many ways so there are moments where it's funny because of his (laughs) confusion with the sort of technology that his uh, daughter utilizes and there's also a few moments where it's genuinely scary because we know that as a widower she is the only part of his life that he kind of has that fleeting uh that, that remaining connection with and if he loses her, we don't know where that leaves him. So we're very, very emotionally invested in everything that he's going through. Yeah, I thought John Cho, his performance was super effective for me. It's it's not like over the top or macho, vengeful, like with a lot of these searching for your kid mysteries. Instead, there's really obvious shades of vulnerability and insecurity that are relatable. I mean, he's recuperating from like the death of his wife and he's also not entirely sure-footed about how to deal with his teenage daughter it's really convincing and i think it's relatable because of precisely how much time he's spending on the internet putting in the work to find a lead it's it's more relatable than an ordinary dramatic scene because when you're obsessed with something or worried or anxious it's a natural thing to compulsively google search and try to find out as much as you can to alleviate your tension which, which brings up a, a little tip for everyone listening right now. If you're feeling ill in life, do not Google your illness, for the love of God. <laughs> You'll drive yourself nuts. Go see a doctor. That's true. <laughs> I think that all of this is just to show the success of that opening scene. Oh, my God, yeah. This is going to seem like a maybe nonsensical comparison. But if you've watched, you know, recent Netflix rom-coms like The Kissing Booth or like to all the boys I've loved before. They do similar things where they try to introduce the entire character's backstory in like three minutes. And there are varying degrees of success there. When Anish did what he did in this movie, it was boggling, like mind boggling how invested I was in those characters, even though I had seen them for the first time, like a minute and a half earlier. I was honestly 
even in the moment, blown away by how well he roped the audience in to the lives and the emotions of these two, you know, this father-daughter pair. I'll actually make uh, a comparison that I thought of immediately when I saw it back in January, and it rings as true as ever, mostly because I, I actually had a conversation with the editors of this film, and this was actually on their mind while they were making this, the uh, opening scene, and that is up. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's such a accurate comparison. I can totally see it now that you've said that. And, you know, they, they even said to me that Pixar, and the way that Pixar does their storytelling was... In a film like this, where they're being very economical and they're like kind of limiting themselves to what they can do to tell this story, um, the film moves at such a rapid pace and there's no moment that feels unnecessary. So for them, it was all about storytelling. And I feel like that opening montage is so economical and how well it presents the information that we need to know to, like you said, Celia, get us emotionally invested and caring about these characters it's just what it's one of those things where, you know, you sit, you sit back and you say to yourself, "Well, that's the magic of movies, right there. That's that's mm-hmm. cinema magic. What they just did. What is this? Is that a tear flowing down my face? Oh my god, I'm crying. How many minutes are we into this already? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I thought the bat that was well, like I said, it comes across before you see it as a gimmick. It's also something that really taps into how we experience our lives these days. How we shot that where. You know, you're accessing their computer screens, you're looking at their text messages, you're watching the mouse move across the screen. And initially it kind of was like, oh, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. But you get drawn into it because that's how you experience so much of your own life is looking at your old pictures, is searching the Internet, is trying and trying to fiddle with new apps to see how they work. And I thought the decision to include all of those little hitching moments, particularly the text messaging when like the, okay, no, I don't want to say that. Oh, okay. Try this. So nope, let's delete that. Like mm-hmm. that made it feel so realistic. And you feel those moments of like, Ugh, that doesn't seem right. It gives us a window into the psychology of the characters. Yeah. Right. And it makes you able to empathize with them more because on a different level, you're seeing their feelings and emotions through these simple everyday moments in our lives. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring up how we're so connected ourselves to technology that we kind of get lost in it. And I think there is a connection to be made with how long we can spend looking at a computer screen or our phone screens, and we lose track of reality, the longer that we spend uh, engaged with technology, that while watching this movie, I think part of the reason why it feels so immersive is because there is a correlation there when you're in the movie theater and you're actually watching this on the big screen, that you, same thing happens. You get lost in the movie, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You kind Definitely. of lose you lose track of time for sure. I did not think that we had reached the end when we reached the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm a chronic watch checker. And my, whenever I watch movies, because I really pacing and how they time these time stuff is really fascinating to me because, you know, I've watched a lot. Of, I've watched documentaries about it. And like the 60 minute mark is always where things like the really huge conflict is almost always introduced at the 60 minute mark. Mm. So I like to check and see, OK, what time are we at here? And I didn't find myself doing that as much with this. I think I only checked my watch once instead of like the four or five times I usually do. (laughs) So because it wasn't as 
it all kind of flowed very successfully from one scene to another. And that was one thing by the end. I was like, okay, how long have we been doing this? How long? Because, you know, timing becomes very important. And you wonder, like, has this been a day, two days? Like, how how long have we been watching this man go through these these events? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I was really confused about, like, the in-world timing as well. Oh, really? Because I, I didn't feel that way because I felt like um, there's a couple of scenes where Detective Vic, played by uh, Deborah Messing, she kind of recaps events uh, some at some points in the film to, to uh, David Kim, and she, like, says, okay your daughter vanished this many days ago. It has now been three days, you know, and, and, and then there's that section also in the film too, where her disappearance becomes national news. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that also served as a good moment to remind the audience, okay, she went missing at around this time and it's been, you know, this long, et cetera, et cetera. And then the film kind of does it again at the end. Yeah. So I'm, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got that sense as much that I was confused with the timeline, um, I thought the film def- I thought the film did go out of its way to express that. Mm. I mean, I and maybe I just wasn't catching it, but I feel like when they kept mentioning, you know, it, it, you know, when characters in the world would mention the timeline, they would refer to like the weekday. Like, I don't remember mm. which specific day it was, but like she went missing on Tuesday, and I was like, well, I don't know what today is, <laughs> so that doesn't mean yeah. anything to me. Yeah, I um, felt that way too. Yeah, and then at the end when they kind of like lay it out and they say how long it had been. I was like, oh, I did not think it had been that length of time. I just was like kind of when I heard it, I was like, that makes sense. But it also wasn't like that was information I already knew. You know, it's another aspect of the of like the mystery of this film that had me on the edge of my seat was I never once had a firm grip on how dark the story would get. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know like where it was going to take me. And in the end, what what does play out is not as dark as I imagined it yeah, would be. Same. Although the threat of that was always looming because at the end of the day, this is every parent's worst nightmare. So you kind of have that <laughs> that path the story could take where it's like this is the worst possible scenario. And the film never tips its hat to let you know which way it's going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they even go back and forth with that. They say that line. One of the anchors on when they show like CNN or whatever says that line, every parent's worst nightmare. And I was like, Oh, now we know what's happened. And then no, Nope. We don't know what's happened. No, there's, there's a lot of twists and turns that this movie takes. Yeah. Which seems realistic to that kind of event too. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And those first five or six days are the most important and the most chaotic of any child abduction investigation because much beyond that, the trail starts to grow cold. Now, I think it was you, Beatrice, uh, that mentioned before, I think it was you, that you felt the film's twists and as the story started to evolve, it started to stretch its believability a little bit. Was that that you who said that? Well, sort of. Um, I think that the film did veer into so many different possibilities and it was leading the audience into thinking that like one particular lead could have been, you know, the abductor. Yeah. The abductor. Um, and I'm not really opposed to that so much as some of its, its insistence on using the 
the gimmick of of just filming it in pure screens was a little um it showed the limitations of that in, in some scenes especially towards the end where everything kind of shifts into into being purely footage and then especially um there's a scene towards the end um where where David is confronting somebody close to him and it's a really emotional scene but it's filmed with a grainy camera and it really detracted from what I thought was one of the most important moments in the film. Mm. It's also one of the only few points in the film where it's not specifically one point of view from uh, you know one camera. There's multiple cameras actually in that scene, which um, I, I thought helped mm-hmm. with that scene a little bit, despite the uh, image quality. So I don't know. I thought that added to the to the suspense factor at least, because on one on one hand you could look at one angle and see one character and what they were doing, then another character would walk away from that. Uh, angle, and then we cut to another camera, and you know the two characters then can't see each other, and you're wondering, okay, what do, does does this person know? Like, are, yeah. are they does, do they know that they're onto him? Like, what's going on? And so, uh, you know, I have to say, like, just in terms of how well the film kept me on the edge of my seat through clever angles, editing, and just the timing of everything, mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was really, really well done. Um, I do have one question to everyone here. When the film does reveal its actual ending to everyone, did anybody uh, kind of have a moment of like, like what was everyone's reaction to it? Was it, oh, well, I saw that coming, or was it, and eh, I'm not really sure I buy that. Like, what, like, what was everyone's reaction to the ultimate reveal without giving it away? Um, I saw the answer coming, and probably my least favorite part of the movie was the explanation of it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So initially I felt like I was onto it, but there were so many twists and turns that I was convinced it was actually something else. So when the big reveal happened, I, I don't know, I felt it was a little law and order for me. So I, I wasn't particularly thrilled with what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. And sorry, I don't mean to like get in Katie's face, but um, I think that that leads back to Matt, where you were talking about how you kind of thought it would go a lot darker than it did. And yeah. I think that's for me, like why it didn't feel as impactful because they kind of faint in the direction of like how how bad this could be and how how awful this could be. And then the last ten minutes, you realize maybe it wasn't that bad all along. And then it, you kind of leave a little bit with a little bit of just like a, oh, it's almost, it, mm, almost got it, like almost. <laughs> <laughs> I love how vague we're all being right now. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a certain aspect of it. I watched. I didn't get it uh, until it happened, but and I sat there thinking like, okay, did they set this up? How did they, how did they play this out throughout the film? Because that's a that's a really important thing for me is like you can't just drop a a twist ending like that and then not have set it out in advance, especially I read a lot of mysteries. I can confirm that on a second viewing, the clues are there. Yes, they are. And it's so, so, so subtle. Yes, they are. There are moments in the film and like I ran back through it. I had uh, the luck of one of my other critic friends was there. So and I had gone with my partner. So there was lots of talk immediately afterwards about it. And that really helped me think like, okay, 
how did they lay this out? And they do a decent job. And I can totally appreciate that. It's not as dark. It's not as typically dark as we were expecting. But I think on a certain level, it is so much more dark. Like, it's so casually upsetting. And as a parent, I was like, oh, my that's <laughs> that's every child's like worst nightmare on a certain level. Yep. So I thought that part of it was a very affecting choice for the director to take, but I do agree that the end is how they do the the typical mystery like and this is how it all came down people uh was very law and ordery and was a little um, yeah. obvious. We'll say that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you why I forgive it. I think I, because I agree, but I forgive it though, because what Anish sets out to do in the very beginning with that opening montage in terms of establishing that this is not your typical um, thriller for teenagers or just some B movie, like this is an adult film for for, for parents uh, or just for really for anybody on, on a human level. As I talked about at the beginning of this in terms of like how they set up the human element of the story and the connection that we established through um, the characters, I don't feel that that is ever betrayed and that the final reveal is still keeping within those themes, if that makes sense. Right. As people who the Internet lets you watch a lot of things, like if if this was a situation where we hadn't just watched the whole thing happen in front of us, you know, and you could get access to that kind of information, you know, that's something that would be available on the internet and we would watch it or maybe not each individual person here, but people would watch that and people mm-hmm. would watch that reveal. So I can totally see the justification for including something that's maybe a little too detailed. Mm. And Celia, you had a little bit of an issue with that in your review. You had made mention that you feel that the film kind of holds our hand a little too much mm-hmm. in terms of guiding us through the story. Right. And and I think that's kind of, for me, what it took to accept it was kind of an adjustment of what the movie's mission was, um, in a sense. Because I kind of walked into it, I don't know, I've seen enough thrillers that, you know, while they make the motives clear, they don't make the path to the motives clear if that makes sense, they kind of let the audience member put that together for themselves. Cause it's yeah. not that difficult of a, of a one-to-one connection. You know, it's very, I just want to say like, it's very interesting how like in a screenplay in yeah. the first act, when you set up like an initial character, um, that isn't your main protagonist. And they have like that one line of dialogue, mm-hmm. one line where it's like th- that line of dialogue is supposed to be the one, like the rowaway line that, if you're not really paying attention, you'll think about it later on and you'll be like, oh, because they established who this character was early on and their motives with that one line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But if you're like an eagle eye watcher, like most of us are, we could pick up pretty early on, oh, well, that's going to be the bad guy at the end of the movie. Right. Or, or this right, is going to matter. Right, the mantelpiece. Yeah, absolutely. But, but so I kind of just had to readjust my expectations because – Now I'm basically just thinking of it as, you know, these filmmakers did not want audience members leaving confused. No. Because they wanted to make sure that their movie was successful and that everybody felt satisfied. Even that was a little bit to the detriment of, you know, regular mystery watchers um, who, like, there were a lot of moments where my biggest issue were there were a lot of moments where 
like they would reveal clues and you would like see something. And at least in my theater, everybody would be like, oh, you know, cause they get, they get the clue. They, they see the connection, but then yeah. they spend an extra 30 seconds, like side by side, com- like, you know, moving the mouse and like side oh, by God, side comparing things. And it's just like, we, I got, thanks. I got it. I got yep. it. Thank you. Yep. And, um, Too much time. Yeah. We got that. We got that slow push in. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, like there were like two or three clues where it literally went on for so long after everyone in the theater had reacted. And so those kinds of moments, I was just like, mm, maybe, but maybe a two on the nose for me. You can't fault. Uh, here's, I, I wrestle with this because on one hand, yes, I agree with you. But on the other hand, look at the result. You know, the ends justify yeah. the means. And I, I'll ask you all, how many of you had your audience clap at the end of the movie? Mine did. Yeah, mine did too. People were very vocal. There, there's there's your proof right there. Like, yeah. they, they have created a crowd-pleasing film that's going to get people to go to their friends and family members and say, oh, man, you guys got to see this. This is, this is something. Mm-hmm. And that's how you create a successful film. Yeah, and, and, and if it means dumbing it down a little bit so that a wider audience can accept your gimmick and accept your form of storytelling and so that they can tell other people. I can't, I can't hold somebody fully accountable for that. If that's, if that's the intention. Yeah, no, I don't fault them for it. Like I understand their motivations for doing it. It's just, it made it more unpleasant for me. Okay. And that's not to say that it became unpleasant. It was just like, there were a few moments in there that kind of took me out of the movie because like in a moment where I wanted to race forward, it was slowing down. Okay, I can understand that. Yeah. With that said, let's head over to final thoughts. Great out of 10, Oscar potential. Uh, Beatrice, let's start off with you. Any final thoughts on searching? I guess something we didn't touch on that I thought was interesting in the movie was how it plays also with the trope of the unknowable teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And here we do learn about Margot and about the inner lives of of a young person that's super plugged in. Um, so aside from being an exciting mystery, I thought this was an interesting foray into the interiority of, of a young person. And I thought it was done really beautifully. And the actress that plays Margot did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I enjoyed this movie and I thought it had a lot of interesting elements to mull over, uh, but I'm not as sure how effective it would be for me a second time around. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, I enjoyed it. Um, final score, I'll give it a seven out of 10. As for Oscar potential, um, I know you like the score, Matt. Um, and I, I also do. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I, I want to say that it could be considered for original score, but I think it's a little far fetched. So unfortunately I, I don't really think it has any Oscar prospects. Okay. Celia. I've always been really fascinated by how people talk about the internet. One of my favorite pieces of media is um, Bo Burnham's Make Happy special, and he he touches on a lot of how we interact with the internet and how we interact with ourselves on the internet and each other on the internet. And um, Just to be clear, you've seen 8th Grade, right? Yeah, I've seen 8th Grade. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. so, so I was really happy to see a movie kind of take those conversations and really take them seriously and not just say, you know, oh, you dumb millennials and stuff like that. You know, it was really nice to see the the online atmosphere 
be considered just as viable and legitimate, if not more so than like her day-to-day life. If viewers at home are, or listeners, because this is a podcast, um, are interested in this kind of idea, there are some mobile games called Just a Lost Phone and Another Lost Phone, where you play, like you basically, your phone screen becomes someone else's phone screen, essentially, and you kind of like dig through their life and like see what their story is about. And it all happens just as if you're looking through their phone. Wow. Um, so it's like a pretty interesting idea. And I'm so glad that I finally got to see a movie like kind of co-op that idea and do really well. I don't think it would necessarily work on a rewatch, but I'm really glad I got to see it, you know, in a big theater with a lot of people, everybody excited. It was awesome. And Katie. I enjoyed watching this movie. I really liked the fact that they made it a a fair mystery, which for those who don't read mystery books or watch a lot of mysteries means that you can figure it out before the end. Like the clues are laid out for the viewer Mm -hmm. or the reader just as much as they are for the protagonist. And I'm always frustrated by mysteries that pretend to have that, but don't really. And I really enjoyed that this one did. Um, because that makes it so much more interesting to to watch. And because you can look for the clues and you can learn and go along with it just like the protagonist did. And I thought this movie was really successful at doing that. And I did want to talk about John Cho and say he is just amazing in this. And if I was going to make like a, a wish list Oscar prediction, I, I would say John Cho should definitely get a nod for his performance in this because you can watch him go through. He starts out looking, you know, like a very average guy. And by the end, he is haggard. And that transformation takes place very slowly throughout the movie. And you know, the last few frames before the final resolution, he looks like he's aged about 10 years Mm. And I thought that was so good. And that was all him. Which is really funny because he doesn't age at all in that opening montage. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, no, exactly. And it's such a, it was, that was really uh, rewarding because I love John Cho and he never gets an opportunity to really show off what he can do. And he totally did get that in this. I have to make a recommendation. Did 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 anyone here see Columbus last year? Yes, that was one of my favorite movies last year. Oh, if you if you love John Cho's work and you want to see more, seek out Columbus. He oh man, he like with that and this, he's just having such a one two punch right now. It, it's really, really exciting to to see. I'll have to check that one out. I am excited to watch it because whenever I find something new, I'm always happy, especially when it's an actor I love. But I think I agree with Beatrice's score that seven out of ten is is about where this should be. I think that people should go out and see this if you can go because it is an exhilarating experience it's why it's a great example for why you should go to the movies to see things you should go to the theater and sit and watch it because a crowd with this is so much more entertaining um and i do want to ask you guys before we leave do you think another movie could do this do you think that this is something that is so powerful because this is kind of the not first time, but this is probably the most successful at manipulating these, this kind of movie where everything is done through other people's screens. Do you think this is kind of a one-off where like, oh, great, but everything afterwards is going to feel like a replication of this? Or do you think this could be like a, a regular kind of movie 
that mm. comes out periodically. I, I don't think we'll see a whole film based around the gimmick, but I could see certain sequences in movies utilizing it. Yeah, I was going to say if you think about kind of where this could lead, especially in other genres, I'm not sure. I think it could become a more integral factor, and this movie shows how you can do that successfully, but I'm not sure if you if it would be a good idea to have more movies where it's all-encompassing, only on screens type of thing. Okay, and I have a couple other points I just want to bring up before we go as well. I with with this being released in Crazy Rich Asians uh, last week, I I just want to say like seeing a, a diverse Asian cast in a movie such as this, and never once, not once, throughout the entire film, does the fact that they're Asian ever get brought up in the screenplay, at all. They're just people and they're just characters. Mm-hmm. I, 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 just, I just I find it so refreshing that after Crazy Rich Asians and its success last week and to get, then get a film a week later with other Asian actors and to not have that even be a part of the story whatsoever, I, I just I just think that that's like really, really refreshing. And that was something that I was very, very happy to see um, play out on the screen. And I hope that that continues that resurgence for Asian actors within Hollywood to continue to get more roles that are not because they are Asian, but just because they're the right actors for the role. So that was really great to see. Um, I do want to gush just a little bit more over the score for this movie. I I really, really, really love it. <laughs> I really do. I, I've been listening because it's available right now on uh, Apple Music and on Spotify. Oh, wow. I've been listening to that open montage song constantly and the fact that Margot grows up learning how to play piano and the piano is an instrument that is used within the score to set that up and it's just this really beautiful melody and it just reminded me so much of Thomas Newman's uh, work like when he was in his prime oh I, I really 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 love it I mean yeah maybe it won't contend for Oscars like I hope in my heart it will but it's definitely probably going to make my own personal lineup at the end of the year. It's my favorite score of the year so far. I, I, I just, I absolutely, absolutely love it so, so much. The editing, too, in this movie, the editing is very, very unique. And after speaking with the editors for this film, which will be released in a separate podcast, I have to give them a tremendous amount of credit because I initially thought that a lot of what was achieved was actually done through screen capture. And that actually wasn't the case. They actually had to do a lot of this through frame-by-frame animation, which is such a painstaking process. And for it to move as naturalistically as it did, and for it to be as engaging and for the timing to work itself out, like I said before, there's not really a wasted frame in this movie at all. I just have to commend that. I think that the work done here to just keep this story flowing at all times and for it to not once ever leave us confused, but more so emotionally invested in the plight that David Kim is going through in this movie is just a masterclass in editing. So I have to applaud them for that. And it's some of the most unique work that I think I'll see all year. John Cho is fantastic. And I, I echo everything that was said. I hope that he continues to get more roles. And I'm also really, really excited to see where um, this debut writer-director, uh, Anish uh, Shiganti, goes from here. Because he shows that he clearly is invested in storytelling and character. And 
did not utilize this gimmick, at least for me, in a way that detracted from um, the story and the emotional aspects of it at all. Instead, it was used in service to the story. And so I'm really, really excited to see what he does with, you know, a normal uh, narrative feature film told with, you know, uh, typical cinematography and things like that. So all in all, really, really exciting surprisingly very emotional was not expecting that i cried twice during the movie and any movie that makes me cry immediately you you immediately get above a five for me that's like my rule of thumb if you if you make me cry you're over a five so this is one of my uh favorite films of the year and it's a unique experience and whoever uh said before that it should be seen with a theater audience uh you're 100 correct in saying that I think that the audience element of everyone kind of piecing together what is happening on screen and the gasps and the laughter. When when David says she made a transaction through Venmo, it's like <laughs> we all know what Venmo is. But to, to hear him be like, I have no idea what this is. Like, that's just that's really that's really funny. Yeah, go out and see this movie. It's expanding wide, August 31st. I really, really encourage others to check it out. It gets an 8 out of 10 from me. I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. Okay, with that said, Celia, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck. Beatrice? Find me on Twitter at BeansproutBia. Katie? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review of Searching. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate that, as well as your support, which you can lend us through Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.